The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. Sci-fi Saturday night. Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Wrong! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It is TalkCast 108, and uh, I've had a tough week. I, I don't have really anything witty or stupid to say uh deep in area 51 high on the dome i've been sick the hell with all of you uh <laughs> sorry about that joining the talk cast tonight in the revere time vortex the girl with the draco tattoo the princess of snark kriana really draco tattoo that's where you went with that <laughs> I know. Wait, it's, it's just gonna get worse. So you know what? Bite me. Are we all constellations or something? What's going right. on? I don't get it. Personal silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room. It's a girl. It's a robot. She's quiet. She's here. Zombrarian. Hey, Zombrarian fulfilled her civic duty yesterday for three years because she's so awesome and talking in the third person. Apparently. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the guest's book now, thanks. Wow. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Swollen Glands and All, Illustrator X. Your last best hope for something to do on a Saturday night. And his lovely ingenue, our princess of darkness, with a side order of gloom, the dead redhead. Hi, everyone. Wow, we're all just really in an odd spot today. From the Outpost Gallifrey Nymphomaniac Catch and Relief Center, it's the Indiana State University Hovercraft Salesman of the Year, Captain Segway himself, Awake by Java. But I have these really cool shoes that I want to sell you. They, they lace themselves. Sweet! Our guest tonight is uh, Michael J. Sullivan, author of Theft of Swords. Michael, great to have you on the show. Nice to be here. Thank you. I just didn't realize I was supposed to have drank more before I was invited to the show. You don't have to. It's not a requirement. <laughs> you can, al- you can also curse. That's at your own discretion. Yes. No, but oh, clearly, I think I'd, all... I'd fit in better if I tried harder. <laughs> I knew I forgot something. <laughs> I want to go back to the blue room. We, we have what we call the... Need our medicine. We have what we call the Everett Soares Award because <laughs> Everett was the person who actually outswore Harlan Ellison. That's hard, man. I think it was a goal for him, though. I think that he. Was- uh, I believe it was. So if we can, if we can naturally make it flow, so much the better. Let's start off tonight as we do every night. Uh, well, every. F- Saturday night when what day is it? Who are you? It's Where are we from? Sci-fi, sci-fi Thursdays. Okay, look, you know, <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> right now for renaming the show "Cool Shit We Like," but in lieu of it, doing that, let's start off with this week's uh, uh, Facebook poll. And what was the, the sweetheart? What was the 
Yes. What was the poll this week? What did we come up with? What happened? Well, I posted it on Veterans Day, so we tried to be clever and do something with the military in honor of all of our vets who listen to us and any of our folks who are stationed somewhere who happen to be listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And I asked, what is your favorite science fiction military organization? Ooh, Starship Troopers! Finally was beaten. <laughs> Finally was Get beaten. Off my bridge. <laughs> once, my once, bridge. Again, once again, uh, coming out on top, our, our respondents are so old school, they love it. My the God. Empire. They... Really? The Empire one with 15 oh, votes. The Empire? <laughs> the Empire from Star Wars. Then we had a tie between. The Starship Trooper Battalion Woo! and the Battlestar Galactica people. Okay, now wait a minute. The Starship Trooper votes can't count if they were talking about the movie. It has to be the book. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, hey! Wait, 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 that wait, was wait, an wait, awesome wait, piece of film! Hold on. The one, you know, ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> hey, do you know this Starship Troopers was awesome? Those aliens were inspired. But coming up and right exploded. behind... <laughs> you, you, you gotta love the fact they had Neil Patrick Harris in it, right? Absolutely. Yes! Exactly! Dr. Horrible kept it from being... I mean, he was Dr. Horrible, right? Yes, he just started his horribleness training early. And following up right on the tails of Starship Troopers and Battlestar Galactica were the soldiers from Aliens... The second one. How do you think he got the PhD so young? It's pretty badass, so I get that. You know what? I'm invoking the quality over quantity rule. Um, It it went, the winner is unit, because I don't think... What? What? No, unit barely exists. It's basically Martha. Uh, And and some cute guy in a red cap for Jack to ogle. Okay. There's this thing called the past. And in the past, <laughs> there are these things called reruns. And no one has watched them, so no one cares. So you can't override everyone. Jerks tonight. Back off. Let X finish. <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Any organization that has the Brigadier. I mean, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. Oh. <laughs> but That's but it doesn't have it anymore. Now it's basically Empire. Martha in a cute cap. And, and we're going to have a very special poll next time in order of Thanksgiving, which I'm not going to reveal yet. But come Aww. on, people. This one, we didn't get as many votes from last time. We're trying no. to break 100. We're trying to actually, break 100. Come on. Actually, I think we're doing really good with these polls. But what kind of bothered me... Is that there were actual soldiers like the District Nine soldiers? Nothing happened with them. Because uh, it's my District Nine. Favorite, Nobody liked that either. The U.S. Army in Battle Los Angeles, which I thought was a great, you know, if you want to talk about straight army, but the Empire, seriously, the Empire. Yep. The bad guys. Okay. What I think we can all agree on is there were much better choices than the Empire, and nobody took any of them. Except for Starship Troopers. They won. They won. And Starship Troopers was on top for a while. The Amazons. People love love Stormtroopers. How can you not love Stormtroopers? They're they're awesome. They're all white and 
Sometimes they're tall, sometimes they're short. Bazinga! This is an equal opportunity show. Hey, sometimes they're tall, sometimes they're short. It all depends. Yeah. Something I'd like to bring up. You uh, can't walk, get out of that one, Java. Sorry. To... Did you see the carbon fiber ones? They were <laughs> yes, awesome. I did. And they were black, and they were even more awesome. All so right. And don't face. forget the special red ones. Java. Hey, Java. Empire card. Put the shovel down. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Dome. Before we he get too far along, our, our friends at Silver Circle Movie have just submitted the movie to the South by oh, Southwest yes. Film Festival. Woo! Uh, uh, yes. Which is scheduled March 9th through 16th. And I think that's in Chicago, isn't it? South, South by Southwest? That's in Phoenix, isn't it? I'm sorry, you're right. It's in Phoenix. Yeah, it's no, like, it's not. No, Austin. Chicago is not All right, somebody just Google it. Yeah, there's nothing south about Chicago. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. ought to know hovercraft. It's Dale. definitely in Austin. I was thinking of Dragon Con. Wow, that's it. That's it. Dragon Con. So everyone fails. Congratulations, Java. Wow. Give us okay. a segue. Have, have we ever figured out where the hell we are? Evidently, no. Um, but, but you know, we do know where we're going. <laughs> we're pretty. Sure. We're going is a Doctor Who movie. Woo! No! Despite all good sense to the opposite. Contrary? What? It's going to be out of continuity from the TV show. Oh, it is? What the hell is the point? A new Doctor, It's they're like, we're just going to take the concept of the Doctor. It's nothing to do with the TV show. So it's like the other the movies they did in the sixties with Peter Cushing. Yes, where Peter Cushing says, "Hello, I am Doctor Who, and this is my magical police box." Oh and my audiences God. got up and left. And you cried. Well, no, I didn't <laughs> cry because I I had to see the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> so who's who's producing this movie? Is it the same team that's doing the television show? All right, wait, wait. I love this quote that's on this page here. Russell T. Davies and then Stephen Moffat have done their own transformations, but we're fantastic. But we have to put that aside and start from scratch. What? Are you out of your freaking mind. All right. You know what Let's really take... needs a reboot? Doctor Who. I think that's... <laughs> no, <laughs> wait, a, wait a minute. Wait I think a minute. we should scrap is, is it that... and start from the beginning. Is that in the most redundant concept in the <laughs> known universe at this point? I mean, the Doctor Who series is is the reboot series of the universe. It reboots itself every couple of years. Every two to three right. years. I so, mean, for Christ's sake, in the past five years, yeah, it's been three times. So you're saying it's a better reboot than Next Gen and Deep You know, it... That's not a reboot, those are spinoffs. We've got all this crap, like, you know, the whole unit thing and the whole tortuous... Story and plot thing and the... You know, we just need to get rid of all that and start new, start fresh. See, if it was up to me right now, you bring back Rose Tyler... 
and I'm a happy camper. No, I think Rose is fairly done. I think I th- that I think that Rose Tyler's uh, mismatched eyebrows and hair has has had <laughs> in in the spotlight, and I think that I think that I'm pretty happy with our current companion. Yeah, I like Amy. Keep like, Amy or bring back Martha. Either one, I don't care. I, I like her hair and I like her legs. <laughs> That whole whole place where her legs meet her back, that's one of my favorites. (laughs) We have really taken a turn for the nurse here tonight. Unbelievable. A whole leg back area. Speaking of movies, you know what's going to be a good movie? Tell me. looks promising. What looks promising to you, my dear? The Hunger Games. The very first full and official trailer has been released. Which no one um, has watched because, of course, no one wants to spoil the surprise. There's what? a surprise? Why <laughs> uh, not? It's the Olympics for hungry people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> um, but so. as a fan of the books, I have to say it looks really promising. Like, a lot of the things that I worried that they would cut for expediency that I felt were important to the story are in the first trailer what so, about it so far as the uh the violence is concerned they tone that down do you think um i think they're gonna have to because it's a they they're making sure that it's rated pg-13 so that the people who are reading the books can all see it yeah that's and the you know, i had that, that's, a, that's a problem i have they a problem with anything that. in the arena yet because what 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 teenagers and preteens really need more of right now is is blatant violence. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I mean, they just don't get enough of the of the killing and the death, especially well, that, of children. They, they, they have other to watch back to back comments of of Ender's Game and and Hunger Games together, and you can have like a you know a sequel there where you could have both of them, and then they can come out and like. Start killing people at random. That works well. I think that's an <laughs> you know, children always do exactly what they see in movies. Yes. But the good part about Ender's Game is that it teaches you like to kill like adults. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and I'm I'm kind of upset that it's toned down. You know, to to kind of placate. Look, because, the, um, there's the. The only thing that I'll be I'll be upset about is if is if it really if they really do take out the fact that those other children are dying. If they take that out, then you lose the entire concept of how brutal the, the games are, and they become games. They be I mean the the problem is that the that the society has labels these things as games that are really very inhumane, and and. If, if they and take that's away the that violence, right? So are exactly. you in favor? Are you in favor or against battle royale? Hmm. Tough question. I think that no, no, not tough at all. I'm, I'm out of school. Favor. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't, Java. Do you know battle royale? Uh, no. Okay, in short, it's a Japanese series. It was uh, a manga and it was movies, live-action movies and books. Um, the, the basic premise is that there are too many people. So periodically, a class of kids gets told, you're the ones who we're taking this time. All of you, your entire class. They stick them on an island. They have 
things on their necks that turn out to be explosive devices, actually, and you have to kill each other, and there can only be one winner. And it's if very you similar, actually. If you yeah. don't kill certain people randomly, uh, the, the, the head will just explode. <laughs> Hmm. Cool. Yeah. It's like scanners for school kids. Excellent. I think that what makes game. the violence of the Hunger Games not more palatable, but makes it not gratuitous, is that there is a very, very strong message about, um, you know, reality TV type things and. Um, so why does that make the violence palatable? Because it doesn't. It's, it doesn't make the violence palatable. It makes it not gratuitous. It has a point. Like the fact that the violence is gratuitous in the within the world makes the story more that much more poignant. Well, I think that what it does is it opens up a place for a conversation to happen between between people, adults and uh, and kids, and and I think that that's a good good thing. I just I just don't want to see that the the movie toned where that message goes away. That's all exactly. I'm concerned about. Exactly. I, I'm no, concerned totally about the same thing. There. I'm concerned about the same thing cons- with with Ender's Game. Although we do now know who the uh, lead actor. Uh, will be who Ender Wiggins will be played by, and that's Asa Butterfield. No, no, no. Uh, Will Smith. Will Smith is going to ruin another sci-fi movie, and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Uh, no, no. Asa Butterfield, who actually is currently going to is starring or or has starred in uh, the movie Hugo. He's also going to be playing Ender in Ender's Game. And yeah, haven't seen Hugo yet, that. but the kid looks like an Ender. He does look a <laughs> so, lot like an Ender. He looks I'm a little okay too with that. old, though. I'm concerned about Is that. Is that a compliment yeah. or a complaint? <laughs> He's an Ender. Yeah, he well, looks like, like an Ender like to me. Child, is he like a childhood version of Clint Eastwood? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he he looks, he looks appropriately, uh, you know... I don't know. Creepy and innocent at the same time. Yeah, a yeah. little bit creepy. You know, kind of like uh, somebody you would expect um, uh, from a series of unfortunate events, you know, where everything's really creepy and crazy. Um, gotcha. Kind of like that. I, hey. I don't really know. I think Hugo, is Hugo the only thing that he's been in? He was also, I think he was in Boy with the Striped Pajamas and something else. But I, I mean. I- I'd not he's a little anything else. He's a little bit old, but he's he's pretty small, you know whatnot. We'll see. Uh, he's old it, and small. That sells me. <laughs> well, he's fourteen. He's fourteen years old, which is a a lot older than Ender is in the in the book when the book starts. Right? He's isn't yeah, Ender. Yeah, supposed to be like eight. eight. Oh, eight. okay, yeah. gotcha. So, but but I mean, he looks kind of scrawny. <laughs> He does. He looks tiny. There we go. It's kind of fun. So maybe it'll work. We found this kid in the back lot. He doesn't look like he's eating. Uh, Fine. Let's use. Not a problem. Another childhood. (laughs) Not a problem. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is not Penn State. But but I'll tell. Oh, 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 please. 
And no, no. segue. Too soon. Segway. <laughs> too soon, dead redheads. Too soon. Segue. Look at this big segue that I'm making right now. We were speaking about <laughs> And Will Smith not, might not be ruining Ender's game, but he is definitely straight up uh, ready to ruin M. Night Shyamalan's new shitty sci-fi flick. Uh, I was going to say, can you ruin it? Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Dead Redhead. And, and Jaden's also going to be in it, so it's double the Smith and double okay. the Suck. For new <laughs> well, at least she'll be hot, right? Wait, what film will this be? Uh, this is uh, his original well, sci-fi well, uh, <laughs> called 1000 AE. Yeah, but here's the cool thing about that Wait, film. Um, yeah, uh... The guy, the writer who took the original Wait. script and rewrote it from the bottom up, uh, and thank God somebody's finally taken one of Shyamalan's scripts and rewritten it, is a guy by the name of Stephen Gann, G-A-H-A-N, G-A-G-H-A-N, who uh, wrote uh, Syriana. And, you know, that really? was an incredibly well-written script. And he also wrote Traffic, which is another incredibly well-written script. So... You know, if if somebody can kill the book, uh, can kill the story, yeah, it's uh, Smith. But, uh, I, I mean, we've seen I, him kill a lot of really good films, or at least a well, lot of really good books. Right, a a wait, good writer cannot... Tom Cruise cannot, uh, Tom Cruise a good writer. you can't blame the actor. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You I'm totally sorry. can. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, mean, I can was, blame Tom Cruise, and he's not even attached to this project. The entire problem with Hollywood is Tom Cruise. So, you know what? Screw that. And your little freaking dog, Toto, too. No, you can oh, totally blame that. That's Katie Holmes. Show some respect. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and he's short, I mean, too. I mean, if, if you want to talk about the best thing that's going to be coming to TV in the next year... NBC, God bless their pointed little heads. NBC is trying for the third time, not the second time, not the first time, but the third time to reboot the Monsters. Because that's a good idea. They, they called for it last year and then buried it. They called for it two years before that and buried it. And they're doing it again, which leads me to believe... They're going to be the new guest judge on America's Got Talent before you can say, oh, my God, what the hell have we done? That, so, yeah, so basically what this comes down to is somewhat at MC, NBC has a huge hard-on for the uh, monsters and it won't just let it go. This time they've tapped, this time they've tapped uh, Brian Fuller, who created Pushing Daisies, to do the pilot. Which was an incredible cool show. Yeah, pushing daisies was was all right. It just didn't it just didn't hit the right audience, so it died. And it also, it was during that writer strike, right? So it was you know it just didn't gain the momentum it needed. It was a good concept and it was a well written story, uh, but good acting. Except it had Shy McBride, which killed it. But. Yeah, that had the curse of Shy McBride. Shy McBride can kill any show. We know this. And I love. Man, okay, he's such so a good actor. So if Chai McBride is going to be in the, the monsters, then you don't have to. <laughs> True. A bad actor. 
every show that man well, is on. At the same, at the same time, NBC is also uh, pushing a uh, Bewitched reboot, which is kind of even oh, scarier. Man. Oh man! I I can't see. Do X. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Hello? Anyone? Oh, he's back. What okay. did we lost we you? We don't X. need. We don't need oh. Darren. 3.0. No, we, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> 3.0, you're and right. Another thing, and another thing <laughs> that we don't need, another thing we don't need is um, uh, a reboot of Akira. But they're oh, doing yeah. it anyway. And that one shitty actress from that one shitty movie based on that shitty book is going to play Kate. <laughs> yeah, you know which one. Now, wait a minute. Look, and, and you yeah, know, we had this discussion be before the show started. That may be one of the best reviews I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and the bottom line is Kristen Stewart is up for the role of, of uh, what role is it? Kay in Akira? Kai. Kai, I'm I. sorry. Actually, I. the way it's spelled right there, it should be Kay. That's what I thought. Well, that's, just, <laughs> that's what I said, but then I... But then somebody else said something different, and then uh, I just went along. Don't, don't, I tend to jump <laughs> like that. don't just go along, because it should be K. But, I mean, Kristen Whatever. Stewart, you know, we don't have a lot to judge her on, because all she's done, all, all that any of us know her in, for the most part, is these crappy Twilight movies. Yeah. What about the Reynolds? So did those crappy Twilight movies. Okay. Um, Akira, live action? No. Remake? No. I have spoken. Okay, so, so we're <laughs> so we're voting on that, and the answer is a, is a, is an upswing no. Oh no! No no no! no. This, this is not a democracy. No. No. No okay. no no. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, here's the deal. Star Trek Two. They're in what? the beginning stages of Star Trek Two, <coughs> and Star Trek Two right. is going to be cool. Uh, but it's not going to be named Star Trek Two. Well, we don't know what they're going to call it yet. So Orky Kurtzman and Lindoff are on their draft of the script, uh, and um, their yeah, biggest concern. Yeah, but didn't I see that it's not even going to enter production until 2012? So we're not going to see it until 2013. Didn't we talk about that like last week or the week before? Yeah, we did. So I don't care. Yeah, why are we <laughs> talking about this? <laughs> so we're we're gonna just wait on this one and hope for the best. Well, well considering uh, that we can't do anything but yes, that's what we're gonna do. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm totally good with I'll, that. I'll tell I'll tell you when uh, when. J.J. Abrams gives me a call and asks me my advice about what he should do with Star Trek 2. <laughs> yeah, good luck on that. We'll all be holding our breath on that hey, one. Hey, speaking of that, <laughs> Dome. Okay. Yeah? Do you, remember, do you remember a thousand, thousand years ago when we were on, uh, back on the station, and we yeah. had... Uh, the Which station? Mars or Lunar? Uh, <laughs> oh, it was pretty lunatic, but the... Uh, the <laughs> International... 
the uh, the new episodes there. What was it called? The new Star Trek series. New Voyages. The new, new Voyages. Whatever happened to them? Because they were really good. Um. Yeah. Well, as in all fan film or uh, non uh, agency films like that. You know, they go great guns for a while and then people tend to lose interest and then get real jobs. And I don't know whatever happened to them. And it's kind of unfortunate because it was some cool stuff going on. I mean, Rod Roddenberry was involved with them for a while. I know that uh, Sulu and Chekhov were involved with them for a while. Oh my gosh, they have actual names. No, I don't know what they are, but they have them. Jeez. George Takai. George Takai and. And <laughs> Bueller, Dr. Bueller. Chekhov. Just call him Chekhov. I don't That's even what know. I did. Thank you. I mean, what? yeah, screw you all with your, with your like, knowledge of IMDb. I'm going to call them by their character <laughs> names because who gives a damn what they are other than, I mean, honestly, do you have any idea what, who William Riker is, like what his real name is? Captain Sexy? Yeah, Jonathan Frakes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and has he done anything other than be Riker? Uh, yes. yeah. Wait, hey, being Riker is hard. You have to have sex with lots of alien women. <laughs> it's true. You have to pull off hold that on, facial hold hair. On, hold on. Hold on, though. Java, come on now. Chekhov was also known as Bester on Babylon 5. So there. Yeah, didn't watch well. it. I tried. <laughs> I tried. Th- I tried this uh, summer to watch Babylon Five. I got so bored. So bored. Yeah, and that uh, was after you got the star, right? Anyway, unbelievable. What's the next news item of the week? Well, you know what's not not in in the show uh, show notes at all, and and I know why it isn't, and it's kind of pissing me off. If you it's say fringe. Star Trek, we're gonna have to hurt you. No, I said fringe. Why should fringe and be in the show notes? Because oh, hey. fringe. No one knows who Peter is. Uh, fringe has been probably one of its uh, more interesting seasons of its four year run. And it's doing really well in its time slot. And its plus Good. seven DVR ratings are going through the roof. Yeah, and I don't watch reason, it anymore. Right. And the reason we're not talking about it is because we're not recording this on Saturdays anymore. Oh. <laughs> Think about it for a second. Well, gee, if someone got a TiVo, this wouldn't be a problem. Someone weren't living in the no, Stone no. Age. Wait, 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 wait. I think Illustrator X has a better method for time shifting than you do. You have a DVR. See? See? <laughs> X has one. That's just sad. It sits next to his Atari, and, you know, he uses it. Sometimes it yells at the kids to get off his lawn for him. That's right. <laughs> and as Herman Munster would say to Lily... Uh, bite me. It's halftime. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Never, he never said that. He never said that. No. Absolutely did. No. It's halftime. Well, it's, 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 it wasn't her 
the monster of Frankenstein? Like, wasn't he a monster? Yes. yes. He wasn't a vampire. No, he wasn't a vampire. Grandpa. Grandpa and he didn't sparkle. That's right. And Lillian Munster was also please, not please a vampire. So you Lily was a vampire. No, she, I thought she wasn't. Yeah. She she no, was I'm a vampire. Because she slept she her before she got married, she slept in a coffin and she wore a bat around her neck. Yep. Okay, so our guest tonight is Michael J. Sullivan, <laughs> author of Theft of Swords. The yeah, Theft of Swords. Okay, making sure I'm not saying a combination of two titles, because there are many titles. There are indeed. How did that happen? How did we end up with a, with a novel with so many titles here? How did we end up with a novel with so many titles? It's just called Theft of Swords. Uh, it was originally, I wrote it as six books, so when Orbit republished it, because I, I originally started out um, writing the six books, and I, I had the first one published to an indie publisher, and then they were unable to um, continue because they ran out of into a money situation. They couldn't print the second one, uh, so I ended up actually self-publishing the next five, uh, so a total of five, and then when the sixth one was coming out, I ended up selling it at that point to Orbit Publishing in New York, and they wanted to repackage the whole thing as a trilogy by combining the two books, um, The Crown Conspiracy and Avon Partha, together into one book, which became Theft of Swords, and then they wanted to put uh, Nephron Rising and uh, Emerald Storm together into the second book, which became Empire Rising, and then um, a Rise of Empire, actually. And then the last book became Heir of Navron, which is an interesting thing because I, I actually was going to the grocery store trying to figure out how I was going to rename these books in some sort of interesting, marketable way. And I came up with you know, Theft of Swords, Rise of Empire, Heir of Navron. So it kind of worked out great. Nice. So you got to rename them. The publishing company didn't do it for you. No, uh, I know sometimes uh, publishing companies do that because the titles of books are considered marketing because it's what draws you into it, and same with the cover of the book. But surprisingly enough, no. Uh, when we discussed this, I was kind of against the idea of having it be into three books because, one, I, I'm not sure whether people who are into fantasy – you guys, I can ask you this. Do you think that uh, people who read fantasy prefer really thick books or normal size, like 300-page books? Dude, it's well, – it's um, shorter than the crow one that i just read that was awful so you know yes. what you know what as long as it's shorter than a george rr R. martin book i'm good i think that uh, yeah, it's i was gonna say let's look at george rr R. martin and tolkien and it's a mark of a fantasy reader that you carry around thick books because you want them <laughs> or you carry around an ipad <laughs> You, you you either have to carry around books that have titles like uh, uh, Jitterbug Afternoon with impressive authors' names on the front cover that everybody will like, ooh, that looks like a philosophical book that has things in it that I wouldn't understand. Or else you have to carry around really thick books. Because even if they're about elves and magic and swords, a thick book is impressive because you could kill someone with it. <laughs> but, 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 but that's why e-readers will never completely take over. Yet. But when you're reading, uh, when, you, when you're looking for a fantasy novel, do you do you look for one that has a lot of books associated, like a really large series? So, like when you get into it, you don't want to have to feel like, 
oh, I love this series, but now it's over? Or do you want something that's short and quick and it's a one-off and you can be done with it? You know, I might be weird in this respect, but I look for long series that are finished. Ooh, yes. That was recently yes. hit on a blog post by, uh, I think it was Brent Weeks, who was saying that uh, it was in relationship to the uh, the, the feud that uh, Ga- uh, Neil Gaiman got in about uh, George R. R. Martin. And he was talking about the famous quote, uh, he's, he's not your bitch. And he was saying <laughs> that the, the problem with that was that when you don't deliver to the audience, when you don't complete the books that you promised, what actually happens is all the other authors out there have a huge problem because they're, they're doing a series as well, and people do exactly what you just said. They refuse to read any of the books until the last one is out. And what happens is that means that author can't make any money over those four or five years until that last book is put out, which is a, a, a huge problem for authors right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like... To the other problem where you've got uh, Robert Jordan, who starts an epic series you know, high fantasy, to use his word, and then he dies before he finishes it. Yeah, that yeah. was unfortunate. Well, George R. R. Martin is a really extreme example with seven years between books, too. But, I mean, I would I would rather just read them all at once, but I don't necessarily want just a one-off, because sometimes you can't go all the places that you could go in a one-off that that would be interesting, and sometimes in those books I'm like, but I wish there was just a little more of this character, and, you know, there's so many things that are left unexplored. Well, what I ended up doing was kind of unique, I think, and a little bit on the insane side, is I actually wrote the entire series before I got the first one published. So this is a six-book series. I think it's a grand total of about 700,000 words, uh, and I had the whole thing done before the first one was, was ever published and the reason one of the huge reasons I want to do that not not that it was completely intentional because of the fact that I mean I, I started this whole thing out I didn't really expect to ever get published and I just kept going but the reality was that the reason I, I did that was I hated the idea of like getting into the fourth book and realizing oh crap if I had just changed this one thing in the very beginning I could have a great ending now and I didn't want to get stuck so having the fluid be able to go back and forth really helped to make the, the book series more cohesive and I could put more clues in because it's a, it's a one big long story that builds and I didn't want to have it get stuck like that. I don't know how like J.K. Rowling ever did it. She get to some point where she has to like, oh my God, and it's like how can you be in that far into the book and then realize, oh, if I had just changed that one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. had her die and not die, that's how she did it. So, so I think, it, and if you're just going by my limited experience, and in iPad pages, Theft of Swords is somewhere around 750. And, That's about right. And a like normal quote-unquote fantasy book for me, as in not George R. R. Martin, is about 350 to 375, maybe 400. So Theft of Swords being two books, perfect size. Yeah, just about all the books came, and I didn't plan this, but all of them came out to be about uh, 300 and some odd pages. No, I, I, think that, I think that works perfectly. And, you know, being on an e-reader, I don't care that it's two books in one because it doesn't... It's not unwieldy. just means one less interruption in my flow of reading. And you're not so, going to hit anybody with the e-reader. I might. <laughs> so, I wouldn't rule that out. <laughs> So for those listeners who have not uh, read your books, how would you summarize this? What's Okay, what's so it's about? a it's a traditional medieval fantasy invented world story, which means I made it all up. So it's all a complete lie. Um, but it's, Or so it's, you uh, say. 
<laughs> I, I should have a clause in there saying something along the lines of this is not based on any reality people. Um, but it's uh, it's kind of a buddy story. It's uh, about two thieves, and it initially begins with these two thieves who are hired to steal a sword from a castle, and when they get there and they get to the spot where the sword is supposed to be, they find the dead body of the king and realize they've just been set up to take the... Um, the fall for having this murder happen, and now they have to figure out how to get out of that situation, and then how, after that, uh, how to you know clear their name or escape or whatever they end up doing. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but um, so from that point on, however, it reveals this larger conspiracy that these two people have suddenly found themselves embroiled in, and it continues getting larger and larger. And these two characters are kind of like. If you were to combine like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and and I Spy, because they actually aren't thieves in the sense that they go around pickpocketing people, they're the the type of thieves who actually um, take contracted jobs. So they go to the different noble houses who want to embarrass each other or or need to steal something or need to in, in some cases even murder someone. They would hire these people to do whatever you know Mission Impossible type job they need, and they have a team of people. Uh, you know, they have black blacksmiths and they have, uh, uh, you know, research people and, and they, they set up their jobs that way. So it's kind of not your traditional gutter, gutter type uh, gritty thief story so much as it's more along the lines of uh, almost a, a 1960s spy thriller. Actually, Zombarian, you may be the only one that gets this. It reminds me a lot in that style of Lynn Flewelling and the Night Shadow trilogies. There's two now, right? Night Runner. Night Runner. Well, was the first one right? Well, Runner? Night Runner series and the Tamir trilogy. Yeah. No, not the Tamir trilogy. That's a completely different thing. Right, but the Night Runner books aren't a tril aren't a trilogy in any way, shape, or form. It's a series. Well, no, there's there's two trilogies. No, it's yeah. a series. No, it says okay. very clearly in the introduction <laughs> that it's a series. No, okay. Okay. I could cool. go get it off the bookshelf and read it to you if you want. Okay, two podcasters I'm, enter, one leaves. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what I was just saying is it's just the sort of thing yeah, that you were describing right. about two thieves who take contracted jobs. It's a similar arc. It actually reminded me of your characters before I even started reading. I was like, oh, I'm going to like this because I liked those books, and it sounds somewhat similar. It. Story-wise, not really similar, but character-wise, a little bit similar, but in a way that I like it. Yeah, so I'm just glad you mentioned The only thing you is yeah. the romance. Just as long as you're not talking about the, 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 the movie, but rather the television series of I Spy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What was but it about the romance? I was actually... I was actually oh, nothing. Uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> I, I had a similar thought where I was really starting to think of Fritz Leiber's uh, Lankmar series with Fafford and the Grey Mouser as far as, like, when you get right down to it, this is a buddy story. Yeah. These are and two guys I, I, in a... Go ahead. Oh, no, it's just like, this This is just like, this is just like the Lankmar series. It's two guys in a fantasy world, and it's like, you know what? We are going to take on some strange jobs that are really dangerous, and we don't even know why we're doing this, and half the time we don't even trust each other, but... And, you know, half the time you're screaming at them, what did you do that was stupid? Come on! <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. As, as it turns out, though, that the book has been compared to that, and I've ever never actually read those books. <laughs> so, 
but I've had that a lot. People have said, well, this seems very much like the Thief series. I'm like, what Thief series? I've never actually heard of it. So I, I do get that a lot, and apparently I'm not as well-read in fantasy thieves background stories as I should be. No, that's actually a good We thing. highly I... recommend the Night Runner series. Oh, I see, I've not actually heard that before. And Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Yeah, Let's and... hear it for Fritz Leiber. Yay. Thank you. Wait, you heard, you've heard of Lynn Flewelling before from someone other than us? For serious? No, not me. Awesome. I'm saying I haven't heard it. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. I was going to be like, oh, fun. No, we really like her. And she used to be local, but not any longer. So that was pretty fun. Um, I, I really, I'm trying not to give anything away. I, there's like, there's like stuff I want to talk about, but I feel like I can't because I, I don't want to give anything away. Because I know Zombrarian hasn't gotten up to the point where I want to talk about, but I'm sure X hasn't no, either. haven't even thefted the sword yet. <laughs> Spoiler alert! There is no sword. <laughs> uh, all I know is I I liked the I really enjoyed the book because I it was one of those deals where I'm like, well, let's see how this goes, and the next thing I know, I'm like, where did the last fifty pages go? Bang! Yeah, I lost an there... hour of time. Like, this is what I want out of a book. I want an escape, and this this was really well written, and I really enjoyed it. One of the things I tried to do with it was uh, that I've actually written many novels. I've written about 13 novels before I wrote this one, and I tried many different styles and many different genres. I mean, I've written science fiction and horror and romance and, and literary fiction. I've tried, you know, very eloquent prose and that sort of thing. But when I wrote these books, I really wrote them after I had given up writing. I wasn't going to write anymore because I had spent 10 years writing a book a year and none of them got anywhere and eventually I just completely gave up and the very best book I ever wrote died and they just completely rejected it so there's no way it could be published. At that point I said there's just no sense in even trying. So what I ended up doing at that point was uh, I actually went off for 12 years and actually started an advertising agency. But then I got back into it to get my daughter to read because she's dyslexic and she hated reading so I thought I'd write something that would be kind of fun and enjoyable for her to read. And in the process, I wasn't planning on getting it published, so I didn't really care. I was just writing something that I really enjoyed to read. I wanted to find something, the kind of book I would really like. And in so doing, I wrote it in a manner that is really easy to read intentionally. In fact, I would sometimes write really nice sentences and realize I have to get rid of those because I don't want people to notice the reading or the, the words. I don't want. I want you to, as soon as you open that book. You start reading and suddenly it goes off in your head like a movie. You see the characters, you see the scene, you, you just get lost in it. And you're not stopping to look at, at how clever the pros are necessarily. It's just something that just happens and just like you're in this story. So that's good to hear that you're, you think that because that was actually kind of what I was aiming for. Mike, one of the things that you wrote about your book, about this, this series of books, is that even though you wrote it for your adults, he kept it free of foul language, sex, and graphic violence. Why? Uh, surprisingly enough, that's actually been asked. It's like, you know, because you're writing it for your daughter. Were you doing that? And, and no, I, it never actually occurred to me really to put that in. I've never found those elements to be any more interesting or more pl plot moving in a story than, say, describing how the characters go to the bathroom. They don't enter into the stories that are right now. If I was writing something where one of those things were important to the plot that would be one thing but if you're it, it's more along the lines of of a you know, like robin hood type story and it doesn't require those elements to make it enjoyable to read so i never really found that that was a necessary element now i want to stop you for a minute because 
you said, you know, you don't really um, write the violence, but the couple of times where the characters are confronted, I find it really interesting what you do include, and ha, huh, I found something to say with no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> it was very cryptic, what, what, too. What, what do I include? Um, things like noticing feet placement. Oh, right. And I noticed that, and I was like, that's a really interesting thing to include, and it really interested me that, A, the character noticed it, that, B, you would write that the character noticed it, and C, that I was interested in the fact that you wrote that the character noticed it, and the fact that the character noticed it itself. Yeah, I think what, she, what she's actually talking about is a character description. You're, I'm illustrating how the character is skilled in fighting so that he's actually determining where his opponent's feet are going to be when they get there. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So you're making the point about how good he is without having him actually hack and slash. That's right. And I love that. I think that's and fabulous. The other, the, the other part of that was I didn't want to... I was kind of keeping in reserve that person's skill because I didn't want to show too early what they can do. So I wanted to keep giving you hints and tastes but keeping that kind of to the very end to make it more of a, a big ending. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I'm almost at the end then, aren't I? Uh, I think of, so. Of the first half yeah. of Theft of Swords, then. Right. Yeah. You're almost at the, first... the end of book one in the duology of the first book. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. So I was cooking right along today. I was excited. <laughs> no, I was excited. <laughs> I have kind um, of a another... similar question. Um, I noticed that you spend what seems to me, and I'm I'm still at the very beginning, so correct me if I'm wrong. Like a lot of time on describing people's clothes, and George R. R. Martin does it too. And I was just wondering, is that a fantasy author thing, or is it just? Project important to the books later on. <laughs> Make it work. Well, the other thing I was... I wasn't aware that I spent all that much time on the clothing, but at that time period, any time period probably before the turn of the 1900s, what people wore determined what class they were. So it, it means more in a historical setting than it would in a modern setting. You know, So if I'm describing someone, particularly in, in the world, if I describe someone wearing fur, that means they're going to be noble because people who weren't noble didn't usually wear fur. Um, and certain colors would mean something as well, but I really didn't know that I was spending all that much time on it, but now that you bring it up, I'm going to have to look for that. I'm reading about fabulous hats right now. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, um, did you create the, uh, the graphics for the covers for each of these novels as well? I did those for the first original six books that were the sh the short 300-page novels. The big ones that are now being produced by Orbit, uh, Theft of Stories, Rise of Empire, and Air of Navran, no, those were done by, uh, and I, for some reason I can't recall his name, but no, they had an illustrator do those separately. Is there is there any place where we can see those original illustrations? Because uh, my uh, understanding was, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you chose to use your art background to do those illustrations and instead of using characters from the books you chose to kind of like make it a scenographic of, of wow of you a actually did research on this didn't you 
Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> yeah, while we were reading, he was he was researching the artwork. A- am so I right? Neat. Well, what happened was when I first got the very first book published through a company called AMI in Minnesota, they they had a French artist doing the cover, and they sent me over some sketches of what he had done, and I was not pleased. They weren't particularly pleased either. It just really wasn't where we were going, and I kind of had this impression in my mind. I wanted to have it to be uh, uh, more of a watercolory thing, and uh, Stan Lee not Stanley. He's the he's the comic artist. Who's the guy who did the the artwork for Lord of the Rings, the movies, and uh, the early works for it? Oh, oh, we have a book by them, don't we? I'm I'm, I'm so terrified not to respond. <laughs> well, anyway, where he is, he had these beautiful watercolors that are kind of washed out, and and they gave this kind of mystical kind of view of the of the landscape, which I thought were great. And so that's kind of what I was looking for. And as it happens. Um, I used to be an illustrator a long time ago, and so when I started thinking about this, you know, I thought, well, I'll quickly do one, give them as a suggestion, and strongly suggest to them that, hey, you know what, you can have this one for free, which they 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 saw it and they took it up on it, so they said, yeah, this is great, we'll we'll use this one, and they said, you know what, since you did that one, you might as well do the next one too, so keep it consistent. And then of course, when I took the books over myself as uh, you know, self-publishing, I continue to do them, but, but what I wanted to do is, you're absolutely right, I did not want to have the characters in the cover, because all too often, the way I picture them is not going to be the way that the reader pictures them, and, and, and I'm sure you guys have seen other book covers where you read, and the guy's bald-headed and, and has brown eyes, and you see the guy in the cover is blonde, and he's got blue eyes, yes. and that's usually because the artist was given a snippet to work from, and he didn't actually read the book, or take notes if he did read it. So that's always been a problem, but I've always felt that I don't want to give that information to a reader. I want the reader to come up with their own impression of what they look like. It's funny because when I'll go to book clubs who have read my books, and invariably it always comes down to the same thing, and it, I think it's because the books have a tendency to come off sort of like a, a movie that people always think, this would make a great movie, and then they say, but who would play blah, 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 and then that, the whole discussion would you know, come down to that, who's playing who, and it's amazing the difference of, that people have. Um, I, you guys have been reading it, so the character of Royce, I think the oddest one I had for that was they wanted, um, is his name McGuire? Who's the guy who plays Spider-Man? Toby McGuire. Toby McGuire is, is who they wanted for, for Royce. Like, wow, really? Exactly. No, I want, what's his name? Come the on, Sicilian. No. Oh, yeah! Inouye Montoya? From Princess Bride. No, no! no. Sicilian. Yeah, yeah. Montoya is an ego Montoya. Wait, the, the Sicilian? What? Oh, the guy from uh, Never Go Up Against the Sicilian When Death Is On the Line. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was Sean? Vicini. Yes. Vicini. Thank you. <laughs> All right, yes. I stand corrected. I now have a new bizarre choice for Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Which back, back I also haven't read very question. far. I feel like Tobey Maguire is so clean cut. Well, the interesting thing is, is the women's response to the book has always been that they all think that Hadrian is is very handsome and, and, and the kind of guy they'd really like to hang out with. But Royce is the bad boy, and that's the one they all want. So I don't think Vecini's going to work. <laughs> so, so my question still, still remains. Where, where is the original covers? 
Are those available? Uh, the original covers are just about everywhere. I mean, you can probably find them on Amazon. You can find them on my website. Um, they're they're still up everywhere. Uh, pretty much wow. wherever you type my name, the books in, they'll they'll pop up. Unfortunately, because I can't I, get them down off the internet. <laughs> you know, uh, and I did want to get to that here. Uh, I gotta say, you have an excellent website. Oh, uh, thank you. And and I gotta. All right, is it pronounced Ryria? Dude, X, there's a whole, like, pronunciation guide on the freaking website. I have not read that. I was busy reading the book. <laughs> I was yeah, just I was looking. It's right on the extras page, I think I was just reading. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Illustrate that means X would have to navigate a website. I know. Well, he took a class. And, uh... He owns the interwebs now. Everybody knows that. <laughs> you know what? I, I just really liked the currency reminds me of Doctor Who. Uh, look, <laughs> they're tenants. Come on. My every waking moment when not on this actual weekly podcast is spent thinking, how can I make this podcast better? I know. I, so anyway, uh, rarea.blogspot.com is an excellent website, and uh, your latest uh, post from this past weekend, dealing with failure, whether you're giving this writing advice. Oh my God, that uh, was one of the funniest and most poignant posts I've ever read. It was really well done. Wow. I think this is good advice for anyone getting started or anything. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that you have to write 13 novels, but expecting to be successful with your first novel is like picking up a tennis racket for the first time and expecting to win Wimbledon. It's possible, just not very likely. This is not the first time we've heard something like this. No, but I mean, the funny thing is... Watching this ardent young man asking you, you know, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And the answer is, you're just not old enough yet. That's it. <laughs> just need more practice. I feel like you really need a long beard to say that. <laughs> yeah, just or no funny. hair, one or the other. Yeah, or no hair. Dome, you're good. Those blog posts really Dome, you're... Of... Oh, there we go. Yeah. Try trying to come up with something to write each week because I start running out of ideas. So I thought, well, I'll do a tips thing. That way I can always be reading something or writing something, get irritated, and I'll have something to write about each week. Oh, oh my God. You well, know, you can write about how you, you were abused by a bunch of podcasters last week. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I can take that now. That's right. I have a new blog post. Thank you. <laughs> oh, can I use real names? Go for it. Go Link for to it. our site. Link to this podcast. I'll, I'll send you a thing. Go for it. It's cool. We're also on. We're, we should get our Goodreads thing together because I see here also that you're you're having a giveaway on Goodreads that ends November twenty second. So all of our listeners who would like Theft of Swords, go get on Goodreads. See if you can enter to win. Yes. Thank God you guys know all about be. this stuff. I am addicted. <laughs> I am addicted to Goodreads. I'm gonna put it. We'll be your PR agents now. We're your cheerleaders. We want you to succeed because I think this is really fun. Yeah. Wait till you read more because this is the funny thing about those books, and you won't notice it while you're reading this one, really, is that I actually kind of planned it so that each book would get better than the last one because the whole story is one big long story arc. And if you notice in most stories, it starts off kind of quick and then it kind of levels out a little bit and then eventually gets better and better and better until you get the big climax and that's how the whole series goes now the problem with that is that usually means that the first book's going to be the weakest which was not 
something I was thinking of too brightly when I was putting it together because I now realize that that was not such a hot idea. But if you read along, <laughs> they should get better with each one. And so finally, the last book, which has yet to come out, no one's read it except for like five people in the world. It's coming out in January. And I actually have to admit, when I got done writing that one, I got up and went, whoa, that's going to be good. So I, was, I impressed the hell out of myself when I did it. So if you liked any of these other books, you're going to love the last one. Well, you know what? Nice. We're looking forward to it, Michael, and we want you back on the show uh, as as the new stuff comes out and talk about your other projects, or just come on and, and you know talk about you know cool shit you like. Yeah, that's what we do. That's all we talk you mean, about. You mean I can come on and talk about these five or six podcasters who interview people and? <laughs> <laughs> seem like they're on drugs, but they're not. Well, see, now I'm interested, oh, though. Oh. See, now you found our weakness. It's flattering. <laughs> <laughs> we love yeah, you so not. much, Michael. <laughs> oh, boy. So, it's Michael J. Sullivan. It's Theft of Swords. We're going to link to his website. We're going to link to Amazon. We're going to link to Goodreads, uh, all the places where you can go to pick up his stuff. Theft Ooh, affiliate linkage on Amazon. Here I come. Uh, affiliate linkage. Kriana, <laughs> I'm looking at you for that, sweetie. So anyhow, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, guys. This has been fun. Oh, is, and, this is my uh, cue. Welcome back any time, Kriana. I did it! Huzzah. I okay. saw the thing, I did the thing. Nice. <laughs> Michael, With stick around after we're done. Okay, <laughs> next week, it's Thanksgiving weekend. The guests are out shopping, but we'll be here. Then on December 3rd, author Steve Roman debuts the saga of Pandora's Wyback with the novel Blood Feud. On December 17th, we have a bone to pick with author Christy Peterson Schoonover and her novel Skeletons in the Swimming Hole. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome? It's been an hour that really ripped by tonight. Guys, thank you all for a great show. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and Grammar Girl Zombrarian, thank you, ladies, once again. See you later. Bye. From the Four Color Vaults of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead, enjoy the evening. And enjoy your turkey. Or whatever you eat on Thursday. Enjoy it, damn it! That's right! <laughs> I took my cigarette ca- out. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> From out the last California, best our gaming editor. <laughs> Thank you, Java. <laughs> the meat is warm and the dwarves have Scottish brogues. I'm in a fan tizzy. <laughs> and this is Jones saying, Genie's shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. The Force will be with you. I have a very dramatic announcement, so anyone with a weak heart should leave now. Goodbye.